Welcome listeners, I'm Jasmine Zuniga and you are about to listen to Undivided Minds, a podcast designed to feed your mind. Today, we talk to a National Guard member, Anne Joan Curtis, from the Sexual Assault Recovery Program. We will also be covering who Vanessa Guillen is and why her case is and will continue to be important. Hello and welcome. I am Imelda Dominguez, an incoming senior at Bullet Memorial. And I'm Alyssa Harmon, and I'm also an incoming senior at Bullet Memorial. We are here today with a young woman who is currently in the National Guard who wishes to remain anonymous. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I want to start with what motivated you to join the National Guard? Um, Well, it started out, um, for me, it was money. Um, I wanted to go to college, and I couldn't really afford it and the military offered benefits and options and resources to continue education and um, down the road um, I ended up not going to school because I wanted to stay working but the military has been a big part of my life in being able to teach me leadership skills and communication skills and teaching me things that I wouldn't learn in college. So how long have you been in the National Guard then? Um, I've been in for about three and a half going on four years now. Wow, that's great. Um, So why do you serve? Um, I serve because I enjoy helping. It's just natural for me. Um, Yes, I'm trained in, you know, the tactical things and combatives and, you know, the cool things you see on TV, I can generally figure out how to do. But there's also the aspect of learning how to help someone learn a new skill that they've never done before. Um, Being able to help someone medically as far as wrapping their hand in, you know, ACE wrap because I took a class, you know, that lets me do first aid, you know, so there's just a lot of opportunities to learn. So you mentioned um, the cool stuff that we see on TV and on TV, Um, people in the Army and the National Guard are typically portrayed as men. Um, So what challenges do you face or have you faced as a woman in the National Guard? And what has been the most difficult part about being a woman in the National Guard? Um, So that kind of issue between the male and female competition generally is more based on the job you go into. So obviously the infantry that is male-based, very high energy, you know, you need a lot of strength and got to have a really strong mental, you know, go for it attitude. Um, But there's other jobs that do have more women-based in it. And it's just how it's just naturally been. But personally for me, um, so I'm a truck driver and that's a naturally male-based job in the civilian world and military world so um, for me there are things that I've had to work a little harder on and proving myself that I know how to do my job so that's just you know putting yourself out there always volunteering always making the point that people know that you're there it does make it difficult sometimes to you know be able to do your job because everyone wants to pick the guy because you know, they know more, they're stronger, and they have all the information, but 
in the unit that I'm in, it's it's pretty even. Like there's really not much competition. If you know what you're doing, you'll put on the job. You mentioned how it's a little bit more competitive, I guess. So do you think it's difficult to be compared with your male counterparts? It can get difficult being compared to them. Um, but at the end of the day, we all know the same information. And it's really who's more motivated to be the leader. You know, no one's here to be the best and only the best. We're trying to make everybody the best because we're all serving one goal and one mission. Yeah, so now that we touched on kind of some of the struggles, what has been the best part for you of being a part of the National Guard? No matter how well you may know your job, there's always something you don't know. Things are always changing. Um, So it's just a really big learning experience the whole time you're going, you're in service. Um, There's really... It's just, it's all about learning. Like you have, you have to be open-minded and willing to do new things, to learn new things. And that's what makes it exciting because it's never the same thing. Each mission is always a little bit different. Each person you do the mission with ends up making the mission a little bit different. You know, there's just certain, there's certain knowledge in some missions and there's certain excitement in other missions. So it's just always moving and always growing. You mentioned before how it kind of just came naturally to you. Mm-hmm. So has being in the National Guard affected your family? Um, not negatively. Um, they were all very supportive when I decided to join. So I didn't join right out of high school like most um, people do. Um, I didn't know I wanted to be in the service until right before I turned 21. And I wanted to do something different and you know, not go to school, but still do something that's worthwhile. So I joined the National Guard and my family, they were all for it. I got multiple family members that are in services through the Navy. Um, I've had a few Coast Guard family members. I've had a few Army. Um, So it wasn't really a negative impact at all. But they, I mean, during um, certain issues with politics and you know other wars going on in the world uh, they do get worried about you know me getting deployed and things like that but they are fully aware that that's my duty and that's my job and that's just something that's part of the job yeah so the national guard like you said is kind of always um you're always learning in it and it's like everything is always changing based on what's going on in the world so has there been a specific moment during your time in service that stood out to you good or bad um, so a few years ago, we had, there was a hurricane in down, down South, you know, Hurricane Irma and a bunch of National Guard around, you know, the U.S. got activated for helping that. And I just got out of basic training and um, job training when that happened. So I found out that I really wanted to do this when I was told that hey, you're going down to actually help people. You're going to do your job. You're going to serve your country. So that's that was a big moment where I was like, yeah, this is definitely something that I want to do. That is super cool. Um, do you feel like substance abuse is lower or, how, or higher in the National Guard? Um, uh, that's a difficult question considering that, you know, you don't, 
hang out with everybody that's in your unit outside of the unit so you don't really see it as often but there has always been an issue with substance abuse in the National Guard and the military itself as a whole. Um, some stressors people just can't handle very well so it ends up you know becoming a substance abuse and you know mental instabilities and you know PTSD is a big part of that um, not having the proper leadership to help you know th those things can always occur in you know the military and even in civilian jobs as well so it's always there and it'll probably always be there and that is something that the uh, military as a whole has been trying to work on for sure. So before we kind of jump in and talk about those mental health um, struggles that people serving may face, I'm assuming the National Guard has rules against substance abuse. Um, is that true? Yes, very strict rules. There's no illegal substance allowed to be consumed. Have you seen or heard people struggle with mental health? Yes, definitely. So I am um, certified in suicide prevention treatment. So I am someone who is trained in the ability to talk to other soldiers and them through tough times, whether it's them thinking, you know, suicidal or they're just struggling with stress or, you know, they can't figure out why they can't sleep because their mind's running. Um, I'm trained to be able to sit down and help someone through their thoughts and help them get the resources they need to find the help that they need. So that's there's always, you know, a struggle, even in the civilian side as well. So it's just the Army has those resources kind of more readily available. But, you know, that it's definitely an issue, and I've definitely come across it personally quite a few times. So since you are trained, how do you stay mentally healthy, and how do you deal with all that stress, um, having the training that you have? I use the training that I have on myself as well. I, you know, reach out, I talk to people. Um, if I need to vent about something, I, you know, I make sure I go to the right people to vent about certain things. And like, you just, you just have to have certain connections with certain people to be able to let certain things off your chest. Um, so for me, that's just talking it out and being like, I had a really rough day, like, you know, I pinched my finger today and I got I was so upset. And like, sometimes it's as little as that. And sometimes it's, you know, I have to call up, you know, a friend and I'm crying for no reason. I don't know why I'm crying. But at the end of the day, it's all about a real tight support system. So do you think um, that has been affected, like your stress or anxiety due to being part of the National Guard? Um, no, considering that I am more civilian most of the time, I do have majority of civilian stressors than I do military stressors. So that's not usually military related. Do you feel as if you can be heard by your superiors? Yes, I do. So I am, I have been in long enough to be comfortable around the people that have been around me for four years now. So I am mm -hmm. able to reach out and ask the questions that need to be asked. And especially because I am also in a leadership position, I have to be, mm. you know, knowledgeable and I have to be flexible. I have to be open-minded because I'm also leading other soldiers as well. So 
if I'm unable to reach out to my leadership, then that means soldiers can't reach out to me as well. So I make it a point to, you know, all of my soldiers are comfortable with me. And if I'm comfortable with my leadership, my soldiers can also be comfortable with my leadership as well. So just one whole chain, it's called the chain of command. So um, I have to be able to go up and they have to be able to come down. And, you know, my soldiers got to be able to trust the process and the fact that I'm giving them the information that they need. I'm giving them the information that they asked for. And if they can't get it from me, they know they can get it from my superiors as well. Yeah, that's the point. So um, how can we motivate more women to serve? Because we know that there's very little women in, in uh, like military branches. So mm-hmm. how can we motivate them to serve? Um, the military is changing. That's what it comes down to. Um, it's not about how strong you are anymore. Granted, there's the physical fitness test that you always have to pass because you obviously have to be a certain, you know, physical ability to do your job. But there's always changing. There's plenty of different jobs out there. You don't have to go into the military to go in, you know, shoot at an enemy. You can be at a computer and texture you can join a football team you can join a track team you can drive a truck you can oh there's so many jobs you can you know drive an airplane or fly an airplane um i mean you can go in for art you can do so many different things in the military it's not just grunts like the military is um moving toward harder military not a stronger military so we need more females, more even more males, more people in general, even people who, you know, identify as whatever they want to identify. Like, it, it doesn't really matter in the military. We just need the brains. And there's plenty of room. We're always accepting people. It's, it's never a interview and then wait for a call. It's, you know, you want to do this? All right, you pass your physical fitness. You can, you know, do a job. You can pick a job. Even if you don't like the job you go into, you can change your job. Yeah, that's great to know that the military is changing and improving. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you tell others who are considering joining or any advice that you have? Um, definitely be open-minded um, with, you know, the world changing. It's all about changing. Like, everything is changing. There's always going to be new things coming out. You just got to be willing to put in the work. And if you're not willing to put in, put in the work, it's, it's not worth it. You're just going to sit around and be sad all the time. So if you're not willing to put in the work and, you know, enjoy what you're doing, you know, make new connections, like you may, you can make lifelong friendships in the military as well. It's just like going to college, you know, you find, you find out, you know, the group of people that is always there for you and, you know, out and you do things outside of, you know, the military with these friends as well. And they just become people that you would literally take a bullet for. So it's just always changing. Yeah. So that was my last question. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure talking to you. It was a pleasure. Before we go on to our next guest, I would like to talk about Vanessa Guillen. 
Private First Class Vanessa was only 20 years old when she went missing. She worked on repairs for small arms and artillery. On April 22, 2020, she went missing from Fort Hood, Central Texas. Hundreds of people looked for her and even gained national attention. Her remains were found and identified two months later. Another soldier was accused of her murder. And another woman was also charged for her playing a role in Vanessa's disappearance. Her murder brought up other allegations of sexual harassment. Her sister said that Vanessa told them she was being sexually harassed by a superior. She was scared to report it due to retaliation. A superior officer walked in on her while she was showering. He sat down and watched her. He later killed himself before being brought to justice. Her parents, family, and friends want justice for her murder, so they created the hashtag I am Vanessa Guillen. This brought up so many more injustices. Here are two stories. Erica Arzola enlisted in the U.S. Air Force when she was only two weeks out of high school. Once she graduated from basic training, she went on to technical school training, where she was sexually assaulted in her dorm by someone she considered a friend. After her assault, she was advised to go to the hospital where she learned other women alleged the same man. After weeks of trial, he was sentenced to 10 years in military prison. Morgan Miller joined the Air Force in 2006. She quickly moved up in ranks. She would tell you sexism was a constant. The culture was very toxic. In 2012, at 24 years old, she was assaulted by an older airman. She was stationed at Keesler Air Force. She had gone out with co-workers to a restaurant. She never saw that airman again. When the same airman called her two years later, all the memories of that night came back and started her PTSD. The U.S. Air Force launched an investigation, but she opted to be a non-participating victim. Whatever information she gave was confidential. She asked to be reassigned, but it never got better. She felt as if they kept pushing for her to work, which eventually led to her breakdown. She permanently retired in 2019. These two stories show how difficult it is for a victim of sexual assault or sexual harassment to report them. It shouldn't be hard to report, especially if 20% of the armed forces are female. There's an estimate that at least 25% have been sexually assaulted and 80% have been sexually harassed. But we know that it's hard to find an exact number due to underreporting. We also know that this is the fastest growing demographic. This also brings up the hashtag MeToo movement. This is a movement against sexual harassment and sexual abuse. People publicize allegations of sex crimes committed by men. It started with Tarana Burke. She would say Me Too to raise awareness of sexual abuse and assault in society. This developed into a hashtag during the Harvey Weinstein sexual abuse allegations. This spread to a social media phenomenon. People would share their stories and how they sometimes didn't report due to fear. The person we interviewed before said that the army is changing and improving. But will that be enough to stop further crimes? Will it be enough to stop sexual harassment or sexism in general? Unfortunately, these are questions that we may never have answers to. Our next guest is Joan Curtis from the Sexual Assault Recovery Program. They will be interviewed by Imelda Dominguez and Jasmine Zuniga. Thank you, Alyssa, again. I'm Imelda Dominguez. Hi, I'm Jasmine Zuniga, and I am an upcoming freshman of UROC Whitewater. Uh, we are here today with Joan Curtis from the Sexual Assault Recovery Program. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So we want to start with uh, what does a sexual assault and recovery program do? 
The Sexual Assault Recovery Program of Rock and Green County was started to assist um, victims of sexual assault in also Rock County as well as Green County. Uh, so we have advocates in both counties to assist victims in many different ways um, once they've been sexually assaulted. Um, a lot of um, people don't know about us, so this is a great way to get more people out there that understand that we are a free service in Green County to assist anyone that has been um, sexually assaulted, whether you go to the ER um, and report your um, sexual abuse and sexual assault with the same nurse or you go to the police department, or you just call our agency number, um, our hotline number, and want assistance um, from, some, from a past abuse that has you've been triggered by in some way. So we assist with um, edu education as well out in the community at schools in different locations to get the word out about sexual abuse and how to stop it and what to do if you were, um, if you were sexually assaulted. We provide advocacy for anyone that's been assaulted and that we help them with um, restraining orders and we help them with anything that they, um, some emotional processing as well as mental health. And we help them do their impact statement as well for victim witness um, in regards to when they go to court and do with a restraining order. We do a lot of awareness and education as well, as I said. Um, and then we just, we're there for the victims to help them get through the process and just really help them find their voice in their, their recovery. So another part of what we offer for the Sexual Assault Recovery Program is anyone that has been a victim of human trafficking. We actually have a full-time advocate that specializes in human trafficking. And she goes out and does trainings and does panel talks and is involved a lot in the community um, educating about human trafficking in that aspect. So that's another part of the sexual assault recovery program that we have as well to um, help victims that have been trafficked. And what is your role in the program? So what my role is at the sexual assault program, um, I'm the service coordinator. And so my position is supervising the advocates and helping them get more trainings um, as well as just being there for them when they have issues with their, with their people that they're, they're working with. Um, so I just provide that emotional support for the advocates when they're dealing with their victims, as well as I do also have a caseload. So I do work individually with um, victims as well. That's great. That's good to know, and that's a good resource for people who are um, experiencing sexual assault. Um, what is the most common type of sexual assault attacks you see, or you have seen? There's no typical um, way that of we see victims. We see victims in a, in a lot of different settings. Um, some of them know their abuser, um, and some of them don't. Um, some of them are male, some of them are female. There's just, they come in all different, in different avenues of how they are sexually assaulted. And that's our role is just to be there and help them and navigate um, what has happened to them, believe them, and just and help them in the healing process 
by providing the one-on-one advocacy that we do provide, as well as forgot to mention that we have support groups as well. Um, So once they get to a certain point of their healing, if they want to have additional support, we have uh, support groups so they can be with others um, to help each other heal in the process. You guys do amazing things. How has Vanessa Guillen and the situation impacted your program? Like, has anything changed or uh, have you even heard of it? Um, Yes, I have heard of it. And um, we haven't really seen a change, but it's always important to keep the message out there that, you know, that we are here, that the sexual assault recovery program is here to assist in any way that we can with with the survivor victim, however they identify whether they want to report or not report. We're not there to make that decision for them. We're there to help give emotional support and help them guide them to their healing process, no matter what that is for them. Um, And that's really important. A lot of individuals that come forward, they deal with a lot of of emotions about feeling that people are going to blame them, think of this, their fault. And so sometimes it's very hard for them to report, but they do want and need to get that emotional support from the advocacy and from just getting that emotional support and and access to mental health counseling as well. And I like, I'd like to remember these services are free to the victims. Um, So that's really very empowering especially in these times that we're going through right now. And it doesn't have to be something that's happened. We have victims that come to us that they were triggered during the Me Too movement, that their um, assault happened many, many years ago. And they, they now have find the need to work through some of that. So um, we really haven't seen a huge increase in anything that's that we can tie back to Vanessa Gillian, but it does impact us that we need to keep getting the word out there that sexual assault happens to anyone. It doesn't discriminate race, gender, age. So we're just, it just is a need to get the word out there that we are a service both in Rock County and Green County to help the victims. Does substance abuse play a huge role in the sexual assaults you have seen or uh, have helped victims? So, Substance abuse can and sometimes does play a role in the sexual assaults, and it can be either way. It can be the the predator or the victim. And the thing that we like to encourage on that, it, 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 it doesn't matter. If you were sexually assaulted and you had been drinking, you, you still are not to blame. You didn't give consent. You It still is assault, and you still were violated. And... I, that's that's a huge thing to tackle with self-blame, that if I wasn't drinking, if I didn't have that drink, I wouldn't have been sexually assaulted. You were taken advantage of. You were the victim. You did not give consent. And that's a huge, a huge thing for sometimes for victims to come to terms with and, 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 and take that self-blame that even though they had that drink or I had too many drinks or I was out with my mm-hmm. friends, it doesn't matter. You are not to blame. You did not ask for this and you are a victim. And we are here to help you through that, that healing process and, and get through that as well. Who is more prone to sexual assaults? Those who use substances, are they younger or older, 
or does sexuality play a role? Sexual assault is, it, like I said before, it can happen to anyone. It does not discriminate age, sex, gender. Um, substance abuse, like I said, does, does sometimes play, but not always. It's a power and control thing um, that we see as well. Uh, especially in the 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 relationship ones that we have that they've known their, that they've known the person that's have assaulted them, um, so it just it 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 can happen to anyone, right. and we're here for anyone. I know, um, male or female, um, regardless of sexuality, we are here. That is so great that you guys have we have this program that can help so many people. So how can someone stay safe? Well, the most the most I can see is staying safe is if you are out and you are with your friends and you are drinking, um, just make sure that you're 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 not, you know, you're keeping your drink with you so someone can't slip something in your drink. You do the buddy system. You never leave alone. You always have someone with you. Um, if you're going to your car, see if someone can go with you in the you know if you're leaving wherever you're leaving. Just be really aware of your surroundings. Um, it just really varies about just being more knowledgeable about where you are and who you're with. And that is, is one of the ways you can really stay safe. This program sounds amazing. And I hope people use these resources that you guys provide. Yes, we have a hotline. It's a 24 hour hotline. The number is 866-666-4576. And anybody can reach out to that. It's open 24 seven. Even if you just want the emotional support, if you then decide you want to meet with an advocate, that can happen. Um, the hotline, that person that is answering the hotline will get you in touch with an advocate and an advocate will um, get in touch with you and see what your needs are and go. We really meet the clients where they're at. We don't push them. We don't make, you know, they, this is, this would happen to them. So they have to take the control back and we allow that by having them, you know, have the say of where they're going to go with their healing. Um, and with that hotline number, the police department can sometime will call it and then we will respond to the police department. And also the emergency rooms will call and say that they have a request for an advocate and we will help them through a SANE, ex be there through them with the SANE exam. And the advocate will come in there if, if, the, if the person would like that. And we just give them just emotional support during that. And then we can sit with them and talk with them. And so it just, it really is a, a program that is there for somebody 24 seven, no matter how they want to utilize the program. We will have that number in the description. I forgot to mention that all of these services are available in English and Spanish. We have bilingual advocates that are also, um, that work with the recovery program. That's amazing. And also that these services um, are free. Lastly, how can we help someone uh, that we know is being sexually assaulted or has been sexually assaulted? Like how can you help them without putting the pressure on the victim? Oh, that's a, that's a very good question because that can be a very tricky thing to do. Uh, especially if the victim doesn't feel comfortable, um, has have a lot of self-blame in going forward. I would say the, 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 most, the best way is just to give them emotional support, be, for the, be there for them. 
let them know that we have this service and that it is free and that they, they're, they're a victim and they're not to blame. And, and, you know, we can, we have advocates that are willing, that are here 24 seven to help them. Um, and, and it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may be a couple years from now. It, it varies with some victims, but just planting that seed that the sexual assault recovery program is here and it's a free service and our advocates are trained in emotional support as well as just just helping them find their voice and get on the path of healing. But that's something that you have to be very careful about of pushing a victim that's not ready. And that's why I, I said earlier in, in the interview that we meet our victims where they're at. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, we, we support their decision if they don't want to report, if they want to report, if they want to get a sane exam, if they don't. That is their, that, this is their, their voice and they get to say how they're going to recover and, and, and the way that they're going to do that. So just as a friend, just letting them know that our services is there for them and you're there for them and just giving them that, that emotional support that they, they were a victim and they are not to blame. That is yeah. perfect. That's good to know because I think it's really important for people to know that because a lot of us know someone who's been sexually assaulted or is being sexually assaulted, and we do not want to put them in a situation where um, they're feeling pressure to do something. So even being an emotional support and knowing that you that's all you can do, um, it's really helpful. Yeah, I agree. And just giving them that one eight hundred number when they feel more when they feel comfortable yeah. to provide the service, and and like with that one eight hundred number, it's just it's an emotional support. They can call and just talk. They can remain anonymous. Yeah. And and so and on that, if you would call me and say my friend was sexually assaulted and they need someone, can you please call them? We would encourage that you give the victim the number and the victim call us mm-hmm. because. That, that's that's how our agency works is yeah. we, we we get referrals by people coming to us we do, it's just we don't want to invade we don't want to trigger and we want the victim to be in the right mind when the, and, and have the power of coming forward and saying I was a victim I was sexually assaulted please help me and sometimes we as friends and family members that know of someone that has been assaulted we think we know what's best for them mm-hmm. and that isn't always the case they have to come with when they're ready and they can't be pushed for that so that's another really good thing to think about if you do know someone that's been assaulted is giving them that space to let them know when they're ready to reach out and and that can be very beneficial, especially if some people in this area, in this county, especially that don't know that we even exist, that we're out there to help them. Yeah. But I really appreciate you guys, go, you know, reaching out and, and getting this word out more. And thank you so much for reaching out, uh, reaching out to us for doing this in uh, this podcast. And yeah. thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into Undivided Minds. I hope you realize why it's important to be informed on these types of topics. Make sure to share us with an aunt, brother, or even a friend. You can find more information about today's episode and more on our website at y2y4c.com. That's y2y4c.com.
This podcast is brought to you by Youth to Youth for Change, a program of family services and the Women's Fund of the Stateline Community Foundation.